Hello and welcome to Do the Right Thing, your weekly writing prompt podcast. I'm Matthias. And I'm Jarvis. Uh, Jarvis and I are aspiring writers, which means that uh, we only use our word processors about once every six months, uh, unless we're prompted. So we're doing a challenge. Each week, one of us sets a timer for 30 minutes. Our goal is to write a complete short story using three of four randomly generated words. Then we come on the podcast, uh, we read the story, we talk about what we learned in writing it, and then we talk about stories sent in by you listeners. Mm -hmm. We're simply here to help you do the right thing. A A Doof Doof Media Media Production. production. Do you ever think that we're going to stop being surprised that we nailed our intro after 60 episodes? Um... No, I I really don't because every time that I sit down to to actually do this this podcast, I'm surprised I can speak. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, this is definitely the best I've done all day. Uh, we're we're at sixty episodes. That means that you could listen to one episode of Do the Right Thing every single day for two months. Yeah, isn't that crazy? And never get tired. Yeah, wow. I mean. It really doesn't feel like it. Like, for some reason, in my mind, I still feel like we're on the 20th ep, right? Mm-hmm, and, that, mm-hmm. and that we're still trying to, like, trug up in the uh, numbers. But, no, it's, it's crazy that we've actually created, like, 60 episodes, 60 hours plus of, of just content. Do you, do you think anyone uh, binges our podcast? Because I don't. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I like honestly I'm trying now to like go back and listen to a lot of our like early a lot of our earlier stuff um but it's uh, very difficult to listen to yourself <laughs> just in general. Really? Yeah, well, well at, at at least for me it, it is. I I definitely I used to go back and I listen to some of the older ones but I haven't in a very long time. So mm-hmm. uh maybe I should listen to that first episode again. Yeah. <laughs> See how I mean, hey, rough that was. I I think that for all of them, there's a certain amount of of quality there, right? Now, if that measures up to what we're doing now, that's for whoever's listening to really decide. But I can say that our first couple of episodes that we did are not horrible. At the time, I definitely thought that, for sure. That they were horrible? That they were not horrible at the time. I believe that. Yeah. Now, yeah. whether I believe that now, that's a separate topic. <laughs> yeah. Well, all right. So this week, the words are what again, Matthias? Rain, contain, corruption, and bubble. Okay. Uh, Jarvis, you were the one writing the story this week. Which ones do you use? I use all of them besides contain, mostly because I couldn't really find a place to put it. Uh, mm-hmm. And yeah, so this week, uh, just for some context, I've been watching the expanse it's quickly becoming my favorite tv show ever um Mm -hmm. only because i just really love sci-fi and i love how grounded the show really is and the characters are quite likable for the most part um but i am not that far all right i'm only halfway through the second season so please don't spoil anything i plan on reading the books and and finishing all five seasons so please keep me in the dark but yeah uh because i have been watching been watching i have taken a lot of interest in um just life on a spaceship in the vast nothingness right Mm -hmm. um so i kind of just wanted to work on that and also i've been bouncing 
around with this idea that I came up with when I listened to the the Art of Dying by Gojira, um, which is a really great song, uh, and I really recommend you going to listen to it, even if you don't like metal. Uh, if you're just into instrumentation, that song is a really great display of what you can do with music. Um, it's certainly a mood. It is definitely a, a solid mood. Uh, but after I listened to that, my brain created this whole little world that's vaguely love Lovecraftian, but kind of not. Um, so this story isn't about that e- event, but it is inspired by all of those thoughts and feelings that I got from actually listening to that song. Um, so yeah, I guess that's really good about cool. the uh, story. Uh, uh, oh, uh, oh, and also we are talking about setting this mm-hmm. this week, so I did try to do a lot more with the description of the setting and uh, certain things that I, no- that I normally would, which I think was, was really good for me because a sad thing is that I found that in, in a lot of my writing... I kind of skip over that to get to the meat mm-hmm. of the yeah. story. Um, well, where setting is completely important and necessary to really appreciate the meat of a story. <laughs> so it's been a very good learning process. Yeah, absolutely. Um, d- just to go back a bit, uh, since you like The Expanse, I know I already told you off air, but um, Doof Media actually has three uh, episodes on The Expanse, I think, at this point. Mm-hmm. So, do you, do you know how far they go into the show? So there's a, a book club on the first mm-hmm. book. There is a uh, pilot season episode. Um, so it might be turned into a show eventually called uh, Melodo de Ir de Expanse, which I think is like... Uh, it's uh the, the belter talk what are they called belter talk yeah so it's in the dialect <laughs> of the show um uh with uh, elliot and ruben where they cover i White think the first that. six chapters mm-hmm. i think um of the book and then um there is a douche cast on i think the first season i think exclusively the first season Okay. And they were comparing it to the book as well. So, uh, lots of Doof Media content on the Expanse, and maybe more to come in the future if the uh, if the Expanse show gets gets voted. So exactly. So definitely, I'm looking check forward to that. Out. Anyway, <laughs> um, anything else uh, we want to talk about before we get into your actual story, Jarvis? Uh, no, I just uh, hope the audience enjoys my voice. So the title of this one is Clone. Wet slaps on porcelain raised concerns amongst the crew. So did the speckled mucus left on the kitchen counter that trailed off along the walls of the mess hall. With so few in the ship, her whimpers for help went unanswered, lost in the hiss of cool drives. So, she held her stomach and kept her secret, as if her little problem didn't pertain to the crew's safety. Then... When the wailings and bleats found its way through the ducts to the engine room, overpowering the comfortable hum of space, the maintenance team who wandered the lower levels broke from their lunch and traversed the halls to its source. She sounds horrible, Marcus said, stood a safe distance from the bathroom and held his breath from the smell. With the systems all good, he and the others were left with little to no job to do, So, finally after days afloat, he looked out at the undiscovered amalgamations that resided in deep space, celestial bodies of gold and purple ricocheting between stars, 
clamoring for mass or maybe even sentience, and far-off gas planets dissolve into novas of blue, frigid comets that paint the black. Wonderless on the other side of Orion could never really set in, because the bioluminescent dust and hollowed-out planets were nothing but reminders of how far they really were. Everyone else treated the void as clouds above, passing bodies that are easy to ignore unless their approach spelt danger. But there was nothing familiar to Marcus, as if every book he read and film he saw resided in another reality entirely. Realization of a mission's beginning, however, kept the spirits up, so maybe he should find something homey about this space. Are you sure it doesn't kill? The only other member of the maintenance team, Jax, he liked to be called, waved off Marcus's concern. Kill? No, no, no. You think Ames will let a little sick sploosh get her down? His smile was optimistic and well-trained to corrupt the sulk Marcus felt comfortable in. At the time, Jack stood to be the only one in the six-man crew who customized their gray skin-tight suit, reinforced the shoulders with embroidered patches he nabbed at concerts, did his hair up to look spacey and natural, and scraped off the sadly obvious three on his chest to replace it with a crooked infinity sign. The others were proud to be one, even if it meant little more than a birth date. So, naturally, a three in the crew needed to stand out. As soon as they were far from Earth, he blemished his face too, put two notches in his eyebrow, and, and shoved space junk through his nose. He liked how he looked, and the crew appreciated the strangety. Went through it last week, Jack said, leaning an ear on the bathroom door. And I'm still kicking. His chuckle seemed to stop the splashes of bile for a moment, before, of course, coming back with sneezes and coughs. Marcus raised an eyebrow to the stars and turned to see what Jax will do. His slight gaze gave Jax the okay and, fulfilling expectation, knocked on the door, delicate, like a worried mother. Amy, you alright, hon? The green goose knocked the tooth out put pressure on her ears and helium in her head. It got all over the walls, bubbled down the floor drain, and corroded the white tile. Its green stained her hands too, sizzled the dirt in her cuticle, and popped with fervor. It wasn't vomit, glue too bright to be yesterday's lunch, and sparkled in the light with combustive blue. The stuff drained from her nose, ears, tear ducts, and coated her throat carrying cells of blood and neurological fluid. Stuff you're not supposed to swallow. But she kept it down. I'm... I'm fine, guys. Get away from the door, will ya? Jax looked to Marcus, who found a distant nebula shaped like a cat. Alright, hon. Just shout if you need anything. He tapped the door twice, saying, We're with you and stepped away, around the corner, with Marcus in tow. Little time passed before it was safe to talk. So, two of us have gotten sick. Marcus folded his arms to assume authority, or to feel secure in this crisis, in just under four days. He looked Jax in the eye, a rarity, and shut them as if a pain was coming on. Jax tried to nip it in the bud. That doesn't mean anything, Mark. Most of us still haven't thrown up, and I'm still getting 102.3 FM. 
Yeah. Earth's missing a few mountains, but you and the others are still out there. You're being lax about your template getting crushed by whatever flung us here. I get it. It's revelry for you to be the only version, and I'm happy for you. But if you two are dead, who's to say we're not next? Hell, the whole planet's ozone got a bite taken out of it. Marcus looked past Jax, back to Orion. We're all just suffocating. Huddled up in the lab like rats in winter. Probably couldn't even bury you. Might not be enough to bury. All the government protection left us running from whatever that thing spawned and praying to God or Buddha, we get to where we need to go. Jax put a hand on Marcus's shoulder, shook it gently to get him back. You need some lax. Remember, we're carbon copies. We can make it out here, they'll be fine down there. And you know, me and Ames as templates were the runts of the bunch. How far to the next system? Marcus looked down to a steel grate floor a few feet from space. If he lost his head, they all would. A week. Three days if we give Nav some rest. Then, let's put her to sleep. The halls that fed into central control went from the stripped wires of the lower levels to a presentable sheen of fluorescent floodlights and buffered metal. Even the thin grate took leave for sticky rubber padding that had the slightest pull of magnetism. Their walk was fairly hurried down the corridor, both eager to move on with their day but came to an expected halt at the octagonal door to the command center. Marcus looked for the door scanner, the ship still new to him, tapped along the middle seam of the door for answers. How does her sleeping help us any? You ever operate a ship with your thoughts alone? Takes a lot, a lot more than fixing pipes. Yeah, yeah. Jax molded it over. But she doesn't really seem all to us. Doesn't eat. Never talks. You know, I've never seen her in the shower. Marcus stopped his search, cocked an eye at Jax to see what he meant. Like, I've never seen her leave this room. Well, continuing the search. What is she? Five? Six? That many iterations does something to the head. With every version, there's this trickle effect. Kind of like rain in a colander. All that connective tissue is filtered, then filtered, then filtered. After two, the subject is barely even viable. Jax took the hit on the chin, had a smirk but looked past the door. Sorry. Marcus's hand found the scanner, hidden on the wall right of the door, and blinked green. So, even a child could find it. Before Marcus could touch it, however, a familiar wrench snuck out of the room. Then the door slid open to a fast background of white and orange masses flowing through space. Its light, bleeding through the wires and the IVs that, that came from every corner of the ship, lined the walls and hid under the floors, colliding above a spherical seat that hooked Nav into it all. After her seat, there was a drop-down to a viewing area created for leisure space travel that they never ended up using besides for the occasional chess game. In the corner of the room, right after the drop-down, where the light just missed and the orange couldn't get to, a gray suit covered in green whimpered as it bled away. The medic is sick, Nav stated, conscious enough to soften her tone. 
His name is Alex. Jax ran across the deck into the pool of green Alex was melting into. Spack curses at Nav like she was some dumb robot you find in the scrap heap. He shook Alex to pull him to his senses, but his cries were incoherent, made death by the pain. Alex was the old medic of the ship, but more so the backbone, who knew any and everything about their journey ahead. His body lost feeling at that point, and slunk around like he was already dead. How long has he been like this? Marcus stayed by the door, watched the green bile encroach on the rest of the room and drip down between the squares of flooring. It was coming closer to him, closer and closer, as if it itself wanted him sick too. 20 minutes. His symptoms started to show an hour ago. And you didn't radio? She was busy, Jax. Marcus said to calm him down. Jax's eyes were fixed on the off switch right below her seat, or the wrench behind her he could use to fix her. When the mind is gone in the ship, the body remains right above dead, cold and pale, breathing only when necessary, allowing the blue solution bubbling in the reactor to pump her blood for her. It was no use arguing with her now. Somewhere in the wires, she regulated the oxygen to compensate for the sixth gasp, booted up the med bay, and mixed sedatives to ease the pain. This was all she knew to do, to keep systems all good, even if they ruined the floors and threatened to unplug her. Alex. Jax grabbed the tusks of his beard. Look at me, buddy. He moved round to meet his eyes, but they were swimming in the sludge. It just wasn't right. All the gunk was splattered all over his corner, got in the floors and his clothes. But he writhed like he was dying, like the stuff got in his heart, his lungs, his brain, and was burrowing its way out. Without a clue, Jax looked back to Marcus, who was more worried about touching the stuff than being useful. What do we do, Marcus? I... I don't know. He... he should be getting over it. Nav spewed green all over the wires, leaked the stuff into the inner upholstery of her seat. With enough force to pull the tendrils from her head, she hit the ground with dead weight. Then the ship turned off, capsized due to distant gravity and flipped on its axis, dead in the water. The shock seized every vital system and released the crew from gravity but the gunk held enough weight to form holds in the grooves of the ship. Jax held onto Alex, who was unaware of the world around him, and, in the black still, looked to Marcus for some guidance. He was watching Nav, slapped the floor for her seat, screaming, the pain of being raw burning more than her stomach. Her arms flung out to the far-reaching cores and protruding dials but the blue solution never left her. So the neurological links to her body were mixed up with data logs and course corrections, her senses scattered around the mess hall and the afterburners as her corpse floated into the upper workings of the ship. Marcus did nothing, could do nothing, floated to the ceiling and found steady in the grooves of the door. Most of the crew was in this room and half of them were sick. They were dying, and he knew it. Three, four, their home was suffocating. Most of Earth's brightest minds are long dead or on their way out. 
up there with the wires and copper. He didn't have any plans, any goals or ways out of this. Kept his eyes steady on the goo that slithered below him. It would get him either way. Fantastic story, Jarvis. Um, I, 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 I really, I really enjoy this one. There's a lot of things you're doing here. Uh, actually, there's there's kind of a lot of different elements being woven in here, right? You have uh, this goo disease. You have mm-hmm. the Earth being gone. You have these clones. You have the uh, altered consciousness of the of the Nav. So there's there's just like a lot uh, going on here, uh, and, and it's done in a way where like I think I I had a uh, I didn't get like a, the full picture for all of them, but I, I think I got enough to like understand what was going on in here. Okay, yeah, um, that was that was definitely one thing that I was kind of worried about um, because the first draft was a more of like slice of life, day in day in the life kind of, kind of thing of uh, Marcus just going around the ship talking to people, you know, getting to know all the uh, characters. But then I quickly realized um, that's good for like like a second chapter in a book, right? But for a short story, it was very boring to kind of read and also write. Um, so right. I decided just to, to um, I guess, come up with this idea of this like clone sickness. When the template of a clone does die, uh, that clone gets almost fatally sick. Um, and then that also kind of gave me the excuse when it came to, to writing to uh, travel around parts of the ship and meet other characters because I did really want to get to uh, the character of of Nav, which I really like that idea of a person kind of being this processing unit for a ship. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of other media that kind of uses that trope and they all do it in kind of different ways. I mean, I think uh, even um, uh, Warhammer 40k has something like that, um, which is it's fun. It's basically like the peak of. Uh, a human being kind of turned into a tool yeah um, it like granted more power because now they're a ship but also lo- much less agency so i think that's that's always an interesting topic i dune has that as well um, yeah yeah it it does i can't wait for that live action dune yes it does look <laughs> that, like it's gonna be pretty damn good that like I, eight I, hour I, movie crossing fingers <laughs> yeah yeah if only you, uh, we could we, we can only hope jarvis yeah um, it might be longer <laughs> honestly dune is Dune is a long story. I don't know how they'll do that in just a in just a movie. It's one of those things where it feels like it should be longer. Anyway, literally, if you um, if you threw a like paper cover no- novel of Dune at, at someone, there's a seventy five percent chance that would kill them. I think that's that's correct. Um, so, um, uh, so yeah, those those are some great ideas um, that that I like being woven around in here. I didn't fully grasp the, the connection between the, the template dying and the, the green goo kind of stuff. I thought that was just like a like a disease kind of thing. Okay. And I wasn't entirely sure what happened to the planet, but that wasn't like as important that, to know as something did happen. Yeah. So Yeah, that was um, something that I was trying to really uh, figure out how much information audience really needed for this one story. Right. Um, Because I do know what actually did happen to the planet. But of course, it's like, well, I first of all, don't have the the time to explain that. I don't know where it would fit in this story. Um, So I decided to try and focus a lot more on these these clones and kind of their way of going about their their lives, knowing that they aren't the original copy of whoever they were cloned from. yeah i thought that was really fun and i i liked you know jack's like putting in um 
uh, he like marking himself just to you know make sure that he stands out because he's like inherently not unique anymore. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I thought that was really interesting. Well, uh, talking um, about setting, um, mm-hmm. what did you get from the setting of this place? And like, were there any parts that you were kind of unsure about? Did it make sense what was being described? Yeah. Uh, so, you know, you have this, this spaceship. It doesn't seem like it's especially like creaky or like messed up, but it's like uh, not super futuristic either. Mm-hmm. Um, and outside there's these all, you know, beautiful constellations and it's it's a very like a space opera kind of uh outside where it's like yeah if you were you know actually in a spaceship in in the depths of space you wouldn't see quite this much but like that's that this is what this world is is like Mm -hmm. um and uh, then the inside kind of gets like really gross and dirty with with just all the disease and i think it's like clear that like that's where it's coming from, right? Um, you have all these wailing and you called it wailing and bleats going through like the ducts that are like overpowering the the hums of the engines and stuff like that. Yeah. So it's like it's a very human kind of disgust. Um, uh, what what I found the most interesting was you know eventually coming to see Nav and seeing all these like wires and um, it was like the most. Uh, the cyberpunk, uh, I don't, I don't know necessarily if that's the right word, but it was, it was the most striking image in, in this. I think of uh, like these are normal humans essentially. I mean, they're clones, some of them, but uh, then you get to this person that is like more machine than human, um, with this blue goo, like not even breathing on their own accord, and yeah. So, so all these things kind of come together to to build this, yeah, particular image of of a setting. Yeah, as I was writing it, I was I was really trying to work towards that, right? Because there is this this green goo that is bio that is biological. There's space that is celestial, um, and then there's nav, which is this weird mix between biological and mechanical, and it's and it's not really sure where uh, the human begins and the machine ends. Um, so yeah, just pretty much playing with those ideas as i was kind of writing through it um when it comes to character right what did you get from marcus um i kind of got that he's like uh, he's not necessarily like like a big leader but he you know does enough to to bring people together mm-hmm. um and he's got mostly like a cool head and then it's just like you know at this end here he just is not ready to be confronted with something so horrible okay. um but for the most part yeah he does seem to be like a a, a half decent leader all right, cool. Yeah, thankfully that was what I was going for. Um, this idea that none of them really know what to do or, or what's going on besides that they have this this one mission. So I wanted to talk a little bit more about the the, the clones, right? So yeah. basically, as I understood it, so Jax is a clone, but they're not all clones, right, on the ship? They are all clones. Oh, they are, so Marcus is a clone as well. Marcus is a clone. He's He's one, which is the first clone. Oh, okay. I see. I think I might have either missed that, but it might just be like me skimming over and being exhausted all the time. So you you have a part where it says we we are ca- carbon copies. Yeah. So it's not just yeah. Yeah. Uh, I just uh, I was I was unsure at uh, making like the other clones one or like two or something. Um, because in yeah, in my like, mind. It reminds me. It reminds me of um, the language difference, like in in 
French and other Latin languages are t- in some in, in in some cultures the first floor is not the ground floor. The ground floor is just the ground floor. It's the zero floor. When you yeah. go up one floor, that's the first floor. So yeah, yeah, it can get is... confusing. <laughs> yeah, so I think probably on a like second go, I would just make them two instead of one. Um, even though I'm pretty sure the template wouldn't have any number, right? Because they're just right. they're just them. They're the template, yeah. They're yeah. the zero. Yeah. So yeah, but makes sense. Yeah, I don't know. I I really like playing with the idea of 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 clones, right? Because like it's this idea of like, well, is this person just another version of the uh, of the original? And like, how much differentiation can you really make from that? And if they are still like the same person at the core, or if it's just cosmetic. Um, mm-hmm. So definitely, if I were to go further with this story, that would be something that I would uh, that I would explore even further. Um, in fact, when it came to the character of of, of Jax, that was one of the whole reasons why I created Jax um, to be happy to be one because he is like three, which means that there were two other versions of him that came before him that might have died, might just not have worked. Yeah, yeah, I, I yeah. There's there's stuff like that that like raises questions, which I, I I think is fun, right? We're wondering, you know, why is he the third? Where, where are the other two? Were they on the ship before? Were they somewhere else? So to, to to get on critique, I think there's a couple places in here where I got a little confused. Yeah. Um, where there's just a little bit like uh the the phrasing is kind of like object first and then the subject or or, or something like that, where basically we're we're thinking that the sentence is going one way and it's actually going another. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's mostly like sentence level stuff. So, uh, but yeah, that does come up a, a couple times. Yeah, and I honestly think that's a product of myself trying to go for a different voice. Um, mm-hmm. Just as I continue to to write on this podcast and in my personal life, I've been trying my best to be a lot more conscious of like how I am describing things and and making sure that within this story, I'm not using the same voice as I would like with Weekend City or uh, anything else that I've kind of written for this uh, podcast. And honestly, another go or a a couple more edits would probably fix a a lot of those problems. Um, Yeah, also, I just... (laughs) I didn't know... um, too much on what kind of punctuation style I was going for. If it would be a lot more longer sure. sentences yeah. uh, that are kind of fostered to together with with commas and the dis- and the description is also being listed like how you would normally use with a comma, or if I'll just use a lot more uh, m dashes to uh, create spacing. So I don't know. I guess the whole thing was just a project of trying stuff. Sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I think it's that's absolutely a worthy thing to to do. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you have a lot of like um, characters interrupting each other, which I think is like a a good way to make a conversation more dynamic. Especially because like you don't necessarily always need to complete the sentence for us to understand what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, now, so, one yeah. one question that, that that I do have is the addition of the onomatopoeias. How did that mm-hmm. work for you as the reader? Like, did you understand 
like what these like that these were sound effects or did they just seem off in the text uh could you point one out to me or where i need to be looking um yeah so there's a part where i think it's when jacks um is first talking talking to marcus and he's like no 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 do you think ames will will let a little sick sploosh uh get get to her no um no i think i think that works okay yeah. 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 You have the I'm and then blick gulp. Uh, fine, guys. Get away from the door, will you? Yeah. No. I, I think those work for me. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um. And where? Yeah. We're we're interrupting some dialogue with with a noise that is pretty related to the dialogue. Yeah. It's. I mean, some of it's for comedic effect. Yeah. So, do you think that those onomatopoeias will kind of hit harder if they are? coupled with a a description of of some uh, force so like when it says sploosh and then it says um amy shot a volley of vomit all over the back wall or something like that mm, i think i think you should do one or the other i okay. i think the onomatopoeias really work on their own because they are a, in a very short interruption so it really feels like simultaneous to mm-hmm. the dialogue and it's like it is it is evocative enough that we can we can understand what's what's going on sploosh is a little bit like more vague but like blick gulp w- during a dialogue of that character speaking is pretty clear that like that's like a, a wretch in their in their throat okay so um yeah no i i, I think one or the other is good now if you want to replace sploosh with like there was a this the spattering of liquid on the floor right I think that works as well. I, yeah. yeah. I think it yeah, one or the other. I I think it's worth trying either way, either both or one or the other, but I I think I would lean towards yeah, one or the yeah. other. Yeah. So uh I I think something that that really helps the onomatopoeia's work is that you've already provided context for them. Mm-hmm. Um so with the sploosh and the bligulp, um I I don't know about others in there, but um it's pretty clear that we're those are coming from someone that's like that is sick, right? You're not only you you already said that out beforehand, but also those onomatopoeias are both said within dialogue that is talking about how Amy Amy is is sick, right? Yeah. So it's pretty clear that like we can ascribe to that. Now, if they were come kind of coming out of nowhere, or if they were the first exposure to that setting detail, then I think we would probably be confused. Like if we just started off with like sploosh, and then like some description that's not related to where that speech is coming from. I think we'd be like, what, what? So uh, yeah, I think, I think pairing it with that context really helps a lot to visualize and to easily hear what it means. Okay. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I'll definitely keep that in in mind when I do eventually go back and edit this. Um, And I guess on that, uh, something that I would, or the, the things that I would change on a second go would be working a lot more with a finer pen or or I guess a finer comb uh, and try and kind of fix a lot of the uh, confusion that uh, that can come from how I kind of structured a, a lot of the sentencing. Um, and then also I would want to definitely just work out a lot more of where this story is kind of going. Like I think what is here is solid, but the tone that's coming across on like a second and third read is a lot more comical than I was kind of going for. Um, yeah, least, it starts yeah. off comical and then it gets very serious by the end. Yeah, and yeah. I like that it does start off comical. 
I'm but I'm wondering if that transition to that seriousness um, works with with how comical it is in the beginning. And so, yeah, I will probably go back and still have it have the beginning have some sort of levity. Right. But I don't know Mm -hmm. if I want it to be as like comical uh, boom, pap, laugh, laugh as it kind of is right now. Yeah, I I think. Maybe part of it, I'm 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 kind of speculating because I haven't practiced enough with like humor. But I think what it would be would be like having the setting and the narration be serious, but like maybe the characters are funny, right? Okay, yeah. Like, um, yeah, I I think that might be the difference where like it it comes from the context of being serious. Um, I something to try out anyway. Yeah. Um, one one last question. Uh, that I I forgot to ask you earlier. At the end there, when the medic is is melting, uh, can you clarify what that meant exactly? Oh, um, I was, was using it as like literally melting into the green goo. No, he's just vomiting so much that okay, it, the the green goo makes up more mass than his actual body seen. Um, and yeah, I guess that was a try at figurative language, but. Of course, I didn't kind of set up that precedent in the story, so I can understand when you get to that point, you're like, well, is he melting? Um, But also, there is, like, something wrong with the medic, because with, like, other people, like like Amy, she's able to still speak, even though she is spewing her her guts. But he is incoherent, and he's writhing like he's dying. Yeah, yeah. I I mean, I think just adding a word just to signify that it's not that it is a metaphor and not literal is to, um, oddly enough, uh, say like practically melting, mm-hmm. um, or something like that. Yeah. Um, which is interesting. I mean, practically does mean that you are, it, it does signal that you're using a metaphor, which is just, I don't know, interesting to me. Um, it, yeah. But if you said literally, then he would be literally melting. But yeah, anyway, do you want to talk about anything else before we move on? No, I think that's about it. Um, yeah, thanks for listening to the story. All right, let's get into the listener-submitted story section. Yeah, let's let's dive on in. Um, <clears throat> all right, so uh, we are about to talk about all of the listener-submitted stories. But before we get into that, I have to remind you that we're going to spoil all of these horribly. Um, we're going to talk about them. In depth. So, if you want the truest and purest read, you should pause this podcast right now and go and read those stories before we talk about them. Well, not right now, but in a, in a couple seconds after we say which five we're going to talk about. Um, all right. So this week uh, we're going to be talking about stories by Fat Baby Albear, uh, Torsion Module, Sarah Penguin, Kausublu V2, and Vice Versailles. Nice. Yeah, so the first one is by Sarah Penguin, The Spymaster and the Princess Part 6, The Princess Reveal. Ooh. So uh, this is another entry in Sarah Penguin's ongoing series where a princess was rescued by a spymaster, uh-huh. and we kind of get hints of, of maybe, if not a romance, definitely something going it's on. It's a bromance. Um, something like that, except it's, it's too... 
they're they're gal pals. That's what's going on. Um, so in this one, we have the spymaster training the princess in some ways of of weapons. Um, we get some more characterization of the spymaster. Uh, she's preparing for the next step in the plan. Uh, we cut uh-huh. to a very short scene where uh, the princess is re- revealed to a duke who is participating in the rebellion against the usurper uncle, and but the princess runs away because she's just overwhelmed with having to be to, to rule a country eventually she's not ready for that yeah and there's this kind of a heartwarming scene where the spy master kind of even though she already had pledged kind of reaffirms her pledge to be by the princess's side and be her advisor yeah and it's kind of really cute yeah it was it was really cute it was also really nice how um again we we get more more characterization of of these two it is nice that we are getting them in a moment that isn't as you know stressful as a lot of the pre- uh, as a lot of the previous parts have been, um, and yeah, it's just it's more characterization, and especially how these two are kind of growing closer to each other. So a really great entry. I really li- loved reading it. Yeah, um, something I really uh, want to note is that you know in past entries we've we've noted that some of the scenes kind of like blew by, mm-hmm. and that was. One of our common criticisms. I think this entry is, is pretty well paced. Yeah. I, I didn't get that feeling. I think it's well done. So thank you for that, Sarah Penguin. And and good job on improving that that aspect of your writing. Exactly. All right. So next up is Torsion Module with Tim's. So Tim starts off two characters at, at I assume it's rundown, but it, it's actually not described that way. I just kind of got the vibe because it's it's two people meeting at a at a diner and kind of like having secret plans. So yeah. that that kind of trope kind of slipped in there, even though there's not a description for it. Yeah. But you have uh, Gary and uh, Ethel mm-hmm. showing up to I think get information on his on his own case essentially because he's like a wanted man and ethel is a, a sheriff who's who's corrupt and so they, they have this conversation where they're they're they kind of allude to both the government and the fact that gary's kind of like an idiot going to an actual sheriff to get this information there's some talk about how there's rebels and they're denying at the rebels uh there's some interplay about money uh, where Ethel's all about money. Gary's like pretending that he is, but he's not really. And, you know, we get some other stuff. This is, you know, actually set in space, some other little hints of world building with uh, the money and stuff like that. And uh, we, we finish off with a code phrase having been revealed that Ethel set a code phrase to get everyone out of out of the, the diner. And Gary's like, oh, it's just to like, just to, to clear it out so I can get out. But then uh, Ethel pulls out a gun and, and holds him there and uh, calls him stupid again, which is a fun little call back to earlier in Dory. Mm-hmm. So it's this nice, you know, we, we kind of get the, the, the feel of these two characters. Uh, Torsha Module was, was talking about how Gary kind of feels uh, to them kind of just their their role or their trope, but I, I, I felt like they were a legitimate character where, you know, they, they make they make a couple mistakes here um, and, you know, they, they have something to, to learn from, although who knows if they'll survive that long. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I think this entire story is a really great example of taking two characters and just sitting them down and seeing what they really talk about and i think the story is very nicely focused uh it is very dialogue heavy but through that dialogue you're getting so much characterization on both sides yeah definitely so thank you so much for submitting that one torture module yeah. Uh, the next story is by Kausublu V2, uh, which is called Sign, another of the Magic Rings series. Mm, magic Rings. We, <laughs> yep, the the very same. <laughs> so um, 
uh, Kara, uh, the the main character here, she's a uh, in barmaid at an inn, I think, at, at her family's inn. Yes. And uh, she's recently received a, a magical tome, and uh, last entry, she stayed up all night reading it. So in this one, she wakes up, um, she starts going through her morning routine. She's exhausted, and she sees the book on her bedside table. She doesn't remember putting it there, but we know what happened, right? She absorbed all this arcane, this this entire arcane text. So she goes through the the day. Uh, we get some more world building on how, you know, uh, running an inn works and stuff like that. It, it's very mundane is the this is the wrong word. Well, it's very slice of life. Yeah. Um, but over over the course of it, we kind of get like these little hints as she thinks about the book, right? These like lines in italics, every line had some meaning, um, stuff like that. So she starts uh, carving out a rune and we kind of in the, in the past entries, she was carving a, a sign for her parents inn. But as she's carving into it, she starts carving the the art, the runes and the text that she read, the untapped information ready to be tapped. So when she's uh, finished, she feels like she does something to it. She imbues it with something, but she's not entirely sure. And uh, we don't know what that means. We don't know what it's going to do, but we know that something is going to happen. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's it's, again, another great entry. I do like the idea of how much this this book is really pulling towards her and it's uh kind of giving me the idea of that this also happened to the very first person who created the arun that power was kind of pulling them to like do this so yeah it was, it was a really nice loop in uh, and I think getting more of what her day to day life is is like is great especially since we all know that something is going to happen in the future to gravely disrupt that. So really great setup so far. Yeah, if I was going to suggest something to focus on, I think uh, giving us a hint of what this effect is at at the Uh end that she's going to do, not necessarily that we need to know like what it actually does, but like how we should feel about it. Like, is it going to be a positive thing or is it like... You know, does she get a sense of foreboding? Does she hear thunder in the distance? Does she almost feel like the earth is shaking, even though it's not? Just something to get us either worried or excited, I think, would, would be good. Definitely, definitely. But thank you very much, Casablu V2, for your submission this week. And next up is Fat Baby Owl Bear with Pleasant Dream. So this is uh, Fat Baby Owl Bear's uh, second entry and and the the sequel to their last one, which was uh, this uh, cyberpunk uh, world where uh, Donna, a uh, augmented uh, person, gone to uh, a shop to get some surgery when the the government rains rain down. So we we basically pick off right where we left Mm off. with uh, the rains coming down, we're talking about those, and we get a lot of description of what this this city is. Um, th- th- I think that's made the main focus here, and it was just which is fitting considering we're talking about setting this exactly. week where California broke off from uh, the, the the continent and kind of sunk in, into these islands. And uh, San uh, Alejo, this the city that we're in, is one of these domed cities over here mm-hmm. where. Um, there's this artificial rain that comes in on a set schedule, even like artificial storms. That the rain comes down clean at the top and filters down through the levels to to the poorer areas, getting dirtier and dirtier with like corruption and iron, mm-hmm. uh, which is a fun and uh, evocative way to describe both like the physical feeling of the rain and what the city itself feels like. So we learned about Donna. They were used to, they used to be part of a cyber terrorist uh, revolutionary ring called the Millenniacs, uh, which I thought was was pretty cool. 
Um, Donna is one of the last of uh, the Millenniacs uh, because they were captured on a job and tortured to get all the information to get the rest of their organization captured. And so basically there's just them and Gimbal, which was the mechanic. Uh, and Mc- Gimbal's not even like a main member. So we get all this description, this like going back into memories. And at the very end, uh, they they wake up from their, their surgery with Gimbal waking them up from, from pleasant dreams, which was not really that pleasant and uh then donna heads out um trudging out into the rain sodden night so it's kind of a a little bit of a like a a downer but that's kind of how it is with cyberpunk a lot of times (laughs) um and we're kind of kind of wondering you know what is what is she doing now what is uh what is the hope for donna yeah what is the next step and i mean going off of the setting it's the description of the world is really great and beautiful i love how in detail it really is on how they describe where the world is now which of course goes back to building up uh that that world building uh and using this new information that we get in this entry it only builds upon what we got in the last one um so yeah i think it's really great setting wise um and then when it does come to the actual characters we are getting more about them which is really great because i know in in the uh, in the previous one um we did get um a good amount of just a description and time with with donna but now we're actually able to uh see them go go through this um augmentation and yeah i'm kind of i'm kind of in the same boat wondering what is next right in this very cyberpunk and dreadful world Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Is she going to try to uh, reunite the Millenniacs or start a new thing or yeah, what's what's going on? All right. So the last store we have uh, here is by Vice Versailles with rain. Well, it's it's the words they use. So it's untitled yeah. <laughs> uh, rain containing corruption. So th- I, I think is is Vice Versailles completely new? I think so. Right? Um, I would say that they are completely new. I do remember seeing this Reddit name be before but it could just be well uh regardless this is a very cool story so we we open with the scene of uh all these uh portals um these these white eerie portals spraying out rain all around mm-hmm. um they are going in particular directions and uh they they they're shooting out this this rain in in particular directions to contain this kind of vaguely described on purpose uh shaggy-haired giant inhuman thing that's perched perched atop a it's hill a it's it's something like that um i i kind of at first i pictured like this this beast but as we go on we we get it's more like if not misshapen definitely like monstrous and uh just just really horrible so there's this one woman uh, jane she is maintaining the portals and moving them around every now and mm-hmm. then uh not very often um and not doing much more than just moving them around but um that's what she's doing and uh over time, we we, we kind of get some more, you know, description of what happened here. This monster killed all of her, like, her teammates and stuff. Uh, and we kind of get hints as to its nature, which I, which I thought was really fascinating, that it's this kind of, like, creature like the thing, right, where it, like, subsumes other biological things, um, which uh, Paradox in a comment uh, pointed out that the Jane's, Jane's friends were added, not just killed, right? And so this creature is is hemmed in by the droplets, and it could probably you know jump out, but it just is slow at calculating the best way out. And so long as she keeps changing the parameters of all these droplets flying around and just like adding 
noise to the the creature's calculations of getting out without getting harmed that it, it will just keep you know keep keep trying mm-hmm. so it's like it, it could get out but because it's trying to figure out the best way out and all of these droplets could hurt it for whatever reason uh it it doesn't which i thought was i just thought it was a, a really fascinating way to, to set up this kind of super alien creature yeah. um yeah. yeah definitely and so uh we and basically we're we're hoping that um she's gonna be able to get help by by morning on this story yeah it, i really really liked how much time is really spent kind of setting this this world up because there is a lot to really take in uh but it's handled very well to where it's very clear as to what is happening and why this this creature is really um why this creature has this this barrier right of a uh, rain um and yeah it's fantastic world building uh, and I'm just kind of looking forward to seeing what is the next step for this creature. Because if you set up that it's this sort of devastating thing and that it's only that the only thing that's keeping it from doing what it wants to is this rain. Well, how is this creature going to get around that? I'm very interested in seeing that. Yeah, I'm interested in just the, the tension that's being set up here. Well, all right. Thank you so much to everyone who submitted this week. Uh, without y'all giving us your sub, uh, your submissions, this podcast would be an hour shorter. So, <laughs> uh, and much less interesting. Exactly. So let's just go ahead and say thank you to everyone who did submit uh, this week. Um, I know during these trying times, it is definitely difficult to, to take that time out of your day to sit down and write. So we just want to say thank you to those who did take that time. Um, so thank you very much to Sarah Peng, to Torsion Module, Paradox, Kalsubalu V2, Jarby Jazz, Vivichuk, Fat Baby Albert, and Vice Versailles. All right, and also we we want to say thank you to everyone who did comment. Uh, by leaving a comment, you not only give someone else a critique on their own work, but it also helps you figure out how to analyze text all the more better. So thank you very much to Paradox, Torsion Module. Sarah Penguin, Jarby Jazz, and Fat Baby Al Bear. Thank you so much for leaving comments this week. Yeah, and because you did that, your chance of getting selected uh, went up. So exactly. Yeah. All right. So uh, let's let's go through our outro before we announce uh, next week's words mm-hmm. uh, at the end here, uh, and what our topic next week is going to be. Exactly. So if you want to be like all of these wonderful writers and want to just take some time out of your day for thirty minutes and write a short story and make something that you're proud of. You can go to our subreddit, which is slash r slash do the right thing. Just go to the most recent post. Whatever post does inspire you to uh, get writing that week. And then set a timer for 30 minutes and write till your heart is content. That's right. Uh, if you uh, don't have a Reddit account, uh, another way to reach us and send us in your story or any questions you have or anything you just want to tell us is by sending us an email at writethingcast at gmail.com. Exactly. And also, if you want to have as much time as possible to see next week's words, well, you could just wait to the end of this podcast. And or you can go to our Twitter, which is at RightThingCast, where we post next week's stories every Saturday on the dot. Okay, uh, so let's let's just uh, announce some Doof stuff, right? And the the main thing I want to talk about, of course, and I'm, I I know I already talked about it last week, but um, uh, I started another podcast with with Clarence, who's who's been 
on this one a, a couple times. Yeah. So uh, it's called Decomposing Worm, <gasps> as some of you may already know. So we just released our, our, our second episode uh, last Friday, our, our first perspectives episode, where we used literary theory more explicitly going into uh, Worm. Um, for those who don't know, Worm is, of course, that amazing uh, online superhero web serial. It's fantastic. Please go read it. Um, and uh, so we looked at it using uh, literary theory by Foucault and, and Karl Marx, and that was a lot of fun. I, I was nice. really worried that the reception would be more mixed because, you know, I'm talking about communists, and I was like, some people on the internet really hate that. So <laughs> we'll see. But I, I we've received nothing but good feedback and and encouragement which has been really 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 cool so um if you were one of those people giving me feedback or or encouraging us uh, thanks so much we really appreciate that but um yeah no it's 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 been really fantastic uh hearing what people think of us uh there is of course that other uh amazing wild bow content creation that that's going on uh pale reflections right for for wild bow's newest series um it's kind of fascinating to me how how fast he's writing and how like it doesn't feel like a lot. We're already like 60,000 words into this new book, right? That's like almost a whole novel. And it does not, it feels like we're on chapter three of a normal novel, uh, which is, which is crazy. So um, it doesn't feel like too much. Oh, and uh, since we haven't plugged it in a very long time, uh, I want to plug We Want More, the Harry Potter and the Methods of Rationality analysis podcast. So between these three, if you're not listening to one something analysis podcast, go listen to one of those. Yeah. And if you want to support us and all of these wonderful podcasts within Doof, uh, the best way to do that is to go to the Doof Media Patreon. Uh, if this is content that you like to con- uh, consume, just think about donating a dollar or more per month. Um, basically, by doing that, you are helping us uh, continue to create the content that you like the Mm -hmm. benefits of you doing this besides just helping us out is that you will get access to the doof media discord which is always on and popping there's something always being talked about being discussed and also you'll be in a discord with a whole bunch of wonderful people uh we also organize a lot of games on there and so it's a lot of fun i played uh natural selection 2 with uh with a whole whole group of people recently which was a lot of fun so yeah a lot of a lot of cool stuff going on there yeah um all right let's let's announce next week's words right uh n- next week we are uh most likely if all things go right going to have a guest which is going to be really cool Ooh. um and the topic is going to be uh setups and payoffs so that's what we'll be focusing on on how to execute that sort of stuff so if you want to go along with that just just to, to practice doing some setups and payoffs absolutely feel free to and if you don't that's totally okay as well uh it's just, you know, the, the, the theming to try out new stuff. Yeah, exactly. All right, so next week's words are earth flax, control, nature, and practice. So earth flax, um, let's, let's actually return to that in, in a second. Uh, nature is, of course, uh, the nature of something or, or the natural world, right? Yeah. Uh, control to control something or the controls to something. And practice, as in to practice something or the practice of something. Exactly. Um, so on earth flax, uh, I know this is a very weird one. Uh, when I first pulled it, I was also like, what does that mean? Uh, so after actually looking up the definition, earth flax itself is a fibrous asbestos. It's like a silky fibrous asbestos. Exactly. So I know it's very specific, which is different from a lot of the other words that we have pulled. But I think it'll be a really great challenge to see how people would use that word in their stories. I, I would I would honestly suggest that, that people can twist it to be whatever they want because I don't think earth flax 
is like in use as in its original definition like at all. Well, it's like I mean, no one no one uses it as bestos now. Like it's supposed to we're supposed to kind of fade out its use. So it's kind of like a free space. It's it's a free space. So you, I um I already suggested someone on the Discord that they use it to uh, or I mean they suggested and I I concurred that it could be a spell name or it could be something else. It could be a magical material. Mm-hmm. Whatever you want it to be. Of course, you should probably look up what flax means so but really do do whatever you want with it i think yeah yeah have a ball and a great time because i mean that's the whole point of doing this podcast (laughs) that's right so jarvis what is the story that you're gonna write my story well i'm not writing next week right but uh the that's right our guest is writing next week exactly but the thing that i do want to write is about um a the a starship going out to the furthest reaches of of the universe and finding a world that is exactly like earth except instead of grass and shrubbery everywhere there's just flax seeds flax plants and flax everything it's 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 an earth made of completely flax stuff and of course us being earthlings and humans and whatever we want to terraform it to being ours as much as as possible terraforming in this world is a very common practice but it comes with so many different factors first and foremost you have to figure out how to control the natural nature of of this this world so this crew is there specifically to charter the entire planet walk about it figure out what it's about how things work on this different earth-like earth um and at the end after they've come up with this beautiful map of how this planet really is i would wonder what would happen if they got stuck there. That, wow that's it <laughs> brilliant brilliant um uh, I, I've got a, a story in a, in a different direction. I'm going to take it in the more magical direction, um, where a um, a nature wizard, nature wizard, uh, made a, made a golem, actually a stone uh, golem made of you know earth and other things, <laughs> and um, you know was was, was uh, practiced its magic on on this golem, but it actually got out of control and was uh, roaming the countryside, and so it was actually eating everything, eating whole houses, eating. Um, uh, castles, breaks, eating, eating jewelry, and it ac- actually got super huge. It eventually got so huge that it couldn't even move. But the problem is, of course, that everything was inside its stomach, right? Mm-hmm. So, what was the wizard to do? Um, well, the wizard got some chemical, uh, alchemical reagents together, mixed it together, and um, went to the golem and uh, gave it this earth lax, and everything came out of it. <laughs> that was pretty good. Uh... <laughs> Did you use control? So- yeah, yeah, it got out of control. Oh, okay. Yes. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, how's it? Fun- I mean, technically, I didn't, I didn't use Earth Flax. I used Earth Lax, but. Well, you know what? I think switching things things up and making everything mean what you want it to mean is a key factor in do the right thing. Yeah, I agree. Okay. <laughs>